thank you for tuning in to the Doing Business with God podcast. Hey, you. Yes, you. I am your host, Michi Renee. It is Michi's passion to help you live your best life and do business God's way. Michi will be talking about entrepreneurship, manifestation, monetization, mindset, beliefs, starting and growing a business, nonprofit, or ministry, all while serving God. So welcome to My Daddy's Business. It's time for the show. It's the Doing Business with God podcast with your host, Michi Renee. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Doing Business with God podcast. I have a special guest in the house, Tara Jackson, a.k.a. Madam Money. She is the author of the best-selling book, Financial Fornication, and newly released for Financial Languages, The Secret to Communicating About Money. Tara is a personal finance expert and an animated international speaker. She is the host of the popular podcast, Financial Fornication with Madam Money and Friends, where she shares fun financial tips for more fun and healthier relationships with money and credit. She is also the founder of Dualpreneur, an organization that provides support services and events for entrepreneurs who have full-time or part-time jobs. Tara's extensive professional background in the financial services industry includes vice president of several financial institutions across the country, as well as interim president and CEO of an Atlanta, Georgia-based credit union. Her experience, knowledge, and witty sense of humor makes her a valued resource and favorite financial commentator for national and international media outlets such as Experian, Radio One, Fox News, Cheddar TV, and Al Jazeera News. Tara is a regular financial contributor for national magazines such as Black Enterprise and Upscale Magazines and also has appeared in numerous syndicated radio shows like the Ricky Smiley Morning Show and national events like the Essence Music Festival. Tara's passion is to help her audience experience more pleasurable and enjoyable relationships with their finances through fun, interactive presentations, webinars, and keynotes. Welcome to the podcast, Madam Money. How are you? I am doing well. How are you? I am doing good considering, you know, COVID doing pretty good out here. Yeah. Yeah, These internet streets got us all tangled up. (laughs) You know, these these streets ain't loyal. So, you know, (laughs) let's jump right into it. Come on with it. Tell um, us about Tara Jackson, aka Madam Money. Oh man, I'm just that chick. You know, I'm that chick that calls her that chick. Just kidding. I am a corporate, former CEO of a financial institution that's just extremely down to earth. And at some point in my life, I repented, turned from my wicked ways and left the financial <laughs> services industry as a banker and became a consumer advocate. And when I wrote the books, Financial Fornication, you know, all of my clients were celebrities and a reality TV. TV stars and I was watching them as they talked about who they were in relationships with, who they wanted to be in relationships with, but nobody wanted to talk about their crappy credit or the fact that they didn't really have any money. So because they used to come to credit union to borrow money, to buy stuff, to bling on TV, to make it look like they had money. Mm. And so when I saw this, you know, I had to do a self-evaluation of myself and I realized I had a really dysfunctional relationship with money and credit. I could run a financial institution and make it grow, but but I was still living paycheck, you know. I was still having money issues. So I figured if sex can sell a cheeseburger, it can sell financial literacy. And <laughs> <laughs> so I just started talking about how I was financially promiscuous with my credit card. 
cards, multiple, don't judge me. And I had all these financial one night stands with my credit cards and ended up with financial STDs. (laughs) (laughs) And them babies hurt. So I figured if I was dealing with this type of drama in my financial life, other people may have. But the unique thing is that I had cures for it. So I share the cures and I share the solutions to a lot of financially abusive relationships. I teach you how to date your financial institution and how to play the credit game. So that's the consumer advocate in me is the tongue in cheek to get people to giggle a little bit because when you giggle, you're a little bit more open. You relate to it because it deals with relationships. And now we can have those crucial conversations about cash. And recently I authored another book called The Four Financial Languages to help people to learn how to communicate in the different financial languages so they would stop arguing about money. So if you are dating or married to a saver and you're a spender, you probably argue about money because you speak two different languages. So I teach people about the four dominant financial languages and how to communicate so you don't have to argue about them. I am a dualpreneur. I do consultation with a credit union. So I work for a financial institution, but I also have side businesses. And so that's why I created the organization Dualpreneur to help people that were working that wanted to start a business, how to start the business the right way so they will not fail miserably like I did the first time. So, you know, I have multiple enterprises as far as businesses are concerned that are now successful. And that's because I applied certain strategies that I'll be sharing in a book coming out in 2021. So that is a little bit a lot about me. Oh, I'm a single mom. My son is 24. He had to correct me. I was saying I was 47 all year and he reminded me that I'm only 46. So I guess I'll be 46 next year. And, you know, my favorite hangout is the bar. Don't judge me. And I have an awesome, humorous relationship with God. He has an awesome sense of humor. Yes, he does. I have an awesome relationship with him. You know how you have a plan and you think this is how it's going to go. And you just like running with it. And all of a sudden he's like, yeah, psych. Right. I didn't tell you to do that. It's my mom's favorite. That's my mom's favorite word that she always doing stuff. And God be like, I ain't tell you to do that. That's not the way we going to do this. (laughs) Right. Go ahead and snatch the rug right out. Yeah. I didn't tell you to do that. Exactly. Like I've been dating a couple dudes and that's why I'm not married. Cause he's like, yeah, no, that's not going to work. So, you know, man's rejection is God's protection. And I learned to just allow him to lead me. So I avoid me disappointing myself because that's what we do when we put these expectations out there that are not in line with what God has for us. We disappoint right. ourselves. So I've learned how to yield to what he has for me. So let's talk about the unhealthy we as women have with money. Talk about that. Some of the financial, the dysfunctional relationships we have about money is one, we practice avoidance a lot of times when we don't understand something or it becomes overwhelming, we will avoid it. And by avoiding it exacerbates or it makes the problem, if you will, greater when it could have been resolved by just paying a little bit of attention to it and resolving it. So because we have so many other things as women to do with family, work, children, and all of that, when finances come into play, it could be extremely overwhelming. And if it becomes too overwhelming, we can't pay our bills, we are running behind or whatever. The most common thing that we'll do, and I am a victim of this as well, is that, or I won't say a victim, I'm a culprit of this, is avoidance. You know, I was like, I'll deal with that tomorrow or I'll deal with that later. I can't deal with that right now. So that's one of the dysfunctions. If we don't deal with something when it's small, it becomes very big and, it, you know, it then becomes very 
very difficult to manage and, you know, expensive to fix in the long run. The other thing is that we don't give ourselves enough time to really focus on ourselves sometimes. We're so busy focusing on everyone else that we put our own oxygen mask on first. And that's financially too, right? So we're so busy giving family money, giving children money, spending on this, doing all this, that we forget that we have to save, invest, and give to ourselves first, you know, after God, but we have to do that for ourselves first so that we can continue to support our families. You know, if we give everything to everyone else, you know, when it comes time that when we need something, we don't have anything. And those people that we give to may or may not be able to give back, you know, but that's not why we give. So it's very important that we learn how to put our own financial oxygen mask on first. Absolutely. I can absolutely relate to that. I am a mother as well. I have three kids, 26, and the twins are 18. And so it just always seems like not so much now, but especially when they were all younger, everybody needs something all the time. Right. And, you know, my favorite saying is, okay, it's today's the day I got to pull a rabbit, you know? So it's like finding money that you don't have. So what are the four languages of spenders? I think that's what you called it. Well, it's the four financial languages. So the four financial languages are saving, spending, investing, and giving, right? So everyone has a dominant financial language. Now we could be fiscally bilingual. (laughs) You know, more than likely we speak, you know, spending and giving or, you know, spending and investing, you know what I mean? You know, because I find a lot of people say, well, I speak all of them. Well, you may be fiscally bilingual, but your dominant financial language is usually what's going to rule when times get tough or when times get really, really good, right? So once you identify if what your dominant financial language is, that's going to kind of control how you communicate about money and how you need to be communicated to about money. So for example, I'm a spender. That's my dominant financial language. I've learned how to speak savings and investing and giving so that I can speak it when it serves me best. But my innate dominant, you know, like, what do I want to do when I get excited or I get some money? I want to go out to the bar. I want to go spend some money. Don't judge me. You know what I mean? Um, (laughs) Because we're chasing a transaction. The transaction is what increases our serotonin levels, you know? So whether it's a dollar or a million dollars, we're always going to chase the transaction. And that's proven by you have some spenders that will do retail therapy Mm -hmm. because they're depressed or whatever, and they'll go out and shop and they'll feel better. But there's a lot of people, and I tell people all the time, it doesn't matter what your vice is. If you're a spender, you're a spender. People just have different vices. So for example, this one lady, she says, well, I'm not a spender. I just love shoes. And I'm like, look, you go into your closet and you have shoes that you've never worn. You may love the shoes, but you've never gone in and admired them and pulled them out to look at it. You just bought it and then put them in your closet. So you love the transaction. So if you have things in your closet that still have the tags on it that you've never wore, the clothing was the vice. It was the transaction that made you feel good, right? Mm. So it's the same thing with savers, right? Savers, they need safety, security, and control. And when their savings account gets below a certain threshold, they're going to freak the hell out. (laughs) If there is money taken out of their account that they are not aware of or nobody asked them, they will shut it down. They will transfer the money. They will hide the money. And then if anybody asks them for money, they're going to be broke for the rest of their life. You got five dollars? No, girl, I ain't got no money. And they sitting on $2 million, you know? <laughs> That's what they're going to do. Now, the investors, they chase the return on investment. They love putting money somewhere and then it grows. Now, they're risk takers. So they understand that if they put money somewhere or invest it, they could lose 
it all, but their whole thought process, oh, I'll just invest more and then I'll win. And so savers and investors are two totally different people, right? So that's why my sister and my brother-in-law argue about money because she's a saver and he's an investor. Mm. He won't invest money in this and she's afraid that he's going to lose all their money. So she starts hoarding the cash and hiding the cash. And becoming the wealth warden. And he's like, Tara, I'm not trying to, you know, invest at all, but we need to invest so it can grow. So, you know, if you're an investor, you know, you invest in businesses or you invest in the stock market, real estate or whatever, you're chasing the return on investment. You love the thrill and, you know, the excitement of the investing. And then the last one is giving. So my givers are so eclectic and beautiful that they innately speak at least two financial languages, right? Because a a giver, their whole, thought process is how can I help? You know, mm-hmm. philanthropist at heart. That's me. Right. So, but a giver that can give money is probably also a saver. That's why they have the money to give. If the giver gives gifts and buys stuff all the time, they don't buy anything for themselves. They just buy stuff to give stuff away. They're probably a spender as well. And if a giver loves to invest in businesses or love to invest in people or whatever, they're probably also a, an investor. That's like your angel investors. So those are the four dominant financial languages. The only thing I have to say about the givers is don't forget to give to yourself. Put on that financial mask on first. It's okay to give to the world, but you got to make sure you give to yourself first. So uh, yeah, there's that. I can say that I was probably guilty of not giving to myself first and giving to everybody because my primary love language is gifts. So therefore I'm, you know, giving to all kinds of organizations or whatever, but And I'm also buying things and gifts for people because that's my primary love language. So that's how I show people that I love them is, you know, I buy stuff. Mm -hmm. Beautiful thing. And that's the only thing about givers. I will celebrate your heart. And that's why I tell people all the time, never tell a giver to not give. You're you're telling them not to be themselves. That's just rude. So you celebrate their heart to give. We just have to remind you that you have to give to yourself so that you can give to other people. Because at some point, if you give everything away, way, you won't be able to live your heart. And that's what's going to hurt you the most is that, oh my God, I don't have anything to give. So you never want to be in that position to do that. So you always have to keep yourself replenished. And just like with the love languages, because your language is gifts, doesn't mean everybody's language is gifts. So I know. They express their love for you the same way. So it's the same thing with the finances. Just because you're a giver or you're a saver or you're an investor or a spender, doesn't mean your partner is going to deal with money, think about money or speak about money the same way way as you. So in relationships, we have to not only respect each other's love languages, but we have to respect each other's financial languages so we can communicate better and help each other reach our collective goal. We hope that you are enjoying this episode. If you would like to be a guest, check the show notes for all the details. Let's get back to the Doing Business with God podcast with Michi Renee. In a perfect ideal world, what would you say those with the four languages, financial languages, which ones tend to go work better together? There isn't really, it really depends on the person, you know what I mean? And their openness to respect and learn how to communicate with the other party. You know what I'm saying? Because I have couples where they're savers and spenders and they've learned the techniques of how to communicate with each other and they work very well together. And I have some that are, you know, savers and savers. You would think that they would work well together 
together because they're both savers, but they still argue about certain things because they're not investing for their future or they're not doing certain things. So they're almost keeping each other stagnant financially because they're so scared or they need that safety, security, and control. I had two savers that actually divorced because of money. Can you believe that? Wow. They divorced <laughs> because of money. And it wasn't that they didn't have enough money. It wasn't that at all. It's just that their financial goals and what they wanted for their households and their lifestyle were completely different. So I would have to say that it's the ones who one, understand their own financial language and respect their own financial language and also learn their partner's financial language and respect their financial language and learn how to speak it. So that's why I'm fiscally bilingual. That's why I learned how to fluently speak in all four languages needed to work for me when it serves me, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm in a room full of real estate investors or full of investors, I have to understand their jargon because investors speak in jargon. They will speak in all this financial jargon and then look at you if you don't know what they're talking about, you know? So I needed to learn that jargon. I needed to understand what they were talking about so that I can have a conversation with them. And even if I didn't understand, I would know enough to be able to ask the right question. If I'm in a room full of savers, I need to respect that they need safety, security, control. And so if I wanted to, you know, challenge them in certain ways, there's a ways to do that without negatively triggering them. And I talk about that in the book for financial languages, that every language has a positive and a negative trigger. So for example, if you say, if a saver says budget to a spender, the spender is going to shut down because when we hear budget, we hear diet, die, deprivation, I can't, no, and all these negatives, right? So if a saver says, hey, let's talk about our spending plan, that spender will be more open because we can spend on savings. We can spend on investing and we can spend on giving. And that kind of makes us feel better because again, we're chasing the transaction. So it's all in a matter of how you do it. So, you know, which ones work well together? It's the ones that respect each other's languages and learn how to communicate in each other's language. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So I've always wanted to know, where did you get the name Madam Money? Where did that come from? Yeah, I got it from this little young lady who was about 80 years old at a Kojic conference. And it was around the time when I first published Financial Fornication. I thought I was going to be ostracized from all the churches. I just thought they were going to damn me to hell because I wrote a book called Financial Fornication and they loved it. They ate it up because, you know, everybody needs to be delivered from financial fornication. You know what I mean? Once I was able to spin it, you know, I got a lot of requests to speak at churches. And so I was requested to speak at a Kojic conference in Alabama. And I was talking about the book Financial Fornication. And after I was finished, you know, people came up to talk to me. This She was so cute. This little young lady, I called her a young lady because she just had a spirit of a little young lady. She was about 80 something years old. And she said, so you are the madam of money. I guess I should call you madam money. And I said, <laughs> I guess you should. And I kind of liked it. And I told somebody to create a logo for it and kind of stole it. I don't know where this little young lady is anymore, but thank you. Um, <laughs> for dubbing me Madam Money. That goes along with your tongue-in-cheek of financial fornication. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That forever. Like, I will use relationships in every situation to talk when it deals with money and business because people get, they understand relationships and you have to think, you know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Jesus did that throughout the time in the Bible he was there, right? He used analogies. He took some complex subjects, found topics that people relate to and used those topics to compare 
compare the two. And that's why people understood what he was saying, right? right? And so all I'm doing is just taking the principles that Jesus did, finding analogies that people can relate to, to help them to see the correlation and have a better understanding of complex issues. Yeah. Sometimes people have to just not be so serious. And the same way money is off limits, sex is off limits. You manage to tie sex and money in the Man, same Let me tell you why, for real. <laughs> so I don't know if you remember, it was like maybe about 12 years ago, because right before I published Financial Fornication, probably 2009, 2010, Hardee's was doing this sexy campaign where they had these half naked women in bathing suits, you know, on cars, spraying themselves with water, just mm. sell a cheeseburger. Yeah, I remember that. Stop the campaign or whatever, because I think all the women's group were, you know, mad about it. That upset me really bad. And <laughs> that's when I realized, so they're doing all of this and using sex to sell a cheeseburger? Seriously? So that's when I thought, okay, so if they can use that to sell a cheeseburger, I can use to sell financial literacy. And that was one of the primary reasons. One, why I chose to have the tongue in cheek of physical and personal relationships to talk about money because we understand abusive relationships. We understand STDs, whether you had one or you didn't. We understand dating, you know, we understand, you know, having pleasurable relationships. So I just correlated with what people needed to know about money and credit into those analogies. And what do people need to know about money and credit? They need to know that that's a tool. They're tools, right? And tools should never control you. I always say that money and credit should never have the power to control what God has created, which is you, which is me, you know, our relationships, and they're just tools. But if we don't take control of them, they will then control what we can and can't do. If we don't create a budget or create a spending plan or a savings plan or investing plan or a giving plan, whatever you want to call it, we don't create that plan and tell our dollars where we want them to go. Our dollars will dictate what we can and can't do. And money and credit was never designed designed to do that. So as far as credit is concerned, I wrote this monologue called The Most Marvelous Marvel Money Movie Ever Told. And it's about a superhero. But one of the characters in the superhero program was Credit. So mm-hmm. he was a good looking dude. He was my boyfriend for real. I mean, he was hot. And he got me everything I wanted. So if I needed something, I just say, Credit, you know, just give me this, give me that. And Credit just gave it to me, right? Collected them and I didn't pay attention to Credit and I didn't pay Credit on time. He turned into this alter ego called debt Mm -hmm. and debt was trying to kill me. You won't pay me till you die. Kill me. And so that's what I need people to understand that credit. If you control credit, you keep credit in its place and you manage it correctly. You will have a good relationship with credit. But if you don't, credit will turn into that evil alter ego called debt. Mm, That is an amazing way to put it. Never even looked at it like that. That is so profound to look at the same way you would look at a bad relationship. Uh-huh. So I can see how you would have married those together because I know I've had some bad relationships with credit and debt. Thankfully, glory to God, I am not there anymore. And the only thing that I owe money on is my house. And that's an asset. At Travel Genie, we make your travel dreams come true. We customize your trip. We create itineraries, book airfare, hotels, cars, and event tickets. We don't just 
book travel. We create experiences. Travel Genie has four trips planned for 2021. San Francisco, Essence, Toronto, and Bali. A $100 deposit gets you started. Use the link below for more information. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at Travel Genie 2017 and online at TravelGenie.com. People need to understand the difference between assets and liabilities as well, right? So that was the only thing that I really appreciated about Rich Dad, Poor Dad book is that it did teach me and it helped me to teach my son the difference between a, an asset and a liability. And so what I used to tell my son, and he was like three or four, is that, you know, an asset puts money in your pocket, a liability takes money out your pocket, right? And so when he wanted to go and buy things, I used to ask him, is this an asset or a liability? And so he had to think about it. Was what we're about to buy going to put money in our pocket or was it just going to take money out of our pocket? And so when he was old enough, he did ask me, he was like, mom, do you own the house? And I was like, well, technically the bank does, but yeah, I own a home. And he was like, is it an asset or a liability? And I was like, okay. And I was like, it's an asset. He was like, so do you make money off your house? And so that's when he, you know, gave to memory. So it is not an asset right now, but it will be an asset when I sell it Mm -hmm. or when there is equity in it. And I, you know, I rent it out or investment property or whatever. So it is an act, it is a liability that will turn into hopefully an asset. And so when people start looking at things that they purchase, is it an asset? Will it put money in your pocket or is it a liability? It's going to take money out of your pocket. And if it's a liability, will it at some point become an asset? And if it's not, now we can make decisions on, do we really need these liabilities? Right. Amazing. So amazing. And so simple. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not meant to be complicated. And that's what I do sessions with financial services professionals, whether they're banking, insurance advisors, investment advisors. And I do trainings with them about the four financial languages for financial services, because most of the time, those financial services representatives are speaking saving or they're speaking investing, right? So they're speaking a lot of jargon. And more than likely, they're going to be communicating to spenders or givers, right? Majority of the people out there are probably going to be spenders. And so that's why a lot of financial services representatives or financial professionals are not very successful with selling their products and services, or they find it to be very challenging to convince someone to get a life insurance policy or to start investing or whatever. And it's because they're not speaking in the right language, Mm. right? So if I'm a spender, I need you as an insurance provider or an investment provider to teach me how to spend money on these tools that will eventually give me more money to spend later. Mm -hmm. Because a spender, you know, will put money aside so that we can spend it later. I mean, I tell people all the time, my retirement chick, her name is Juanita. And Juanita (laughs) wants to travel and have a young boyfriend, which both requires a significant amount of money. (laughs) So in order for Juanita to be comfortable, Tara has to start putting money aside for Juanita so we can spend some money later on. So I'm not necessarily killing my spending power. I'm just transferring the spending power to a later date, but I'm still doing a transaction. Mm -hmm. So I have the pleasure of doing a transaction now, but it's to put it somewhere so that I can spend it later. Gotcha. That makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. You have to know who you are. That's number one. 
Exactly. And that's the problem that most people are walking around and they don't know who they are. So that's in life and love and spiritual and in money. People, we just don't know who the hell we are. Once we figure that out, we can start being real with ourselves. Yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong with being a spender. You know, there's something wrong with overspending and being irresponsible with it. But being a saver, an investor, a giver is no better than being a spender. They're all even. The problem is when we do it in excess because I have a saver in my life hoards cash. <laughs> she's not investing. She's not doing anything. Everybody's like, dude, can we buy $5 pizza? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> she's depriving you know, herself and her family because she's so afraid to become destitute. She's a scared saver. And so she's saving in excess and not enjoying mm-hmm. life. And then I have mm-hmm. an investor, you know, every time money comes in, they're investing in something, in business, a multi-level marketing, whatever. And they're chasing the return and not getting the return. And they're, you know, going to run to a point where they're going to invest and lose all their money because mm-hmm. they're not investing in the right tools. And, you know, and then I have someone who gives and they just give everything away and to a point where sometimes they don't have enough to give to themselves. So the excess is what's bad. But once you understand what your financial language is, now you can start putting some, you know, some boundaries on yourself. Like my vice is technology. I love gadgets and the bar, you know, don't judge me. I'm not going to go hang out at Best Buy. I'm not going to make a, you know, a daily visit to the local pub. You know what I'm saying? You know, I may do it every once in a while, or I may say these are my days to do it or, uh, you know, whatever, but I'm going to have to put boundaries on myself because I understand who I am. Absolutely. Yeah. I have had to do that to myself with the giving. So like I capped the giving at 20%. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when you don't have any more. You just don't have it. Yep. I capped the giving at 20% and I don't let myself feel bad anymore when I am not able to give anymore, whether that's financially, whether that's mentally, emotionally, spiritually. When I'm done, I'm done. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you stop feeling guilty. Most givers, they guilt givers, right? Or if they are unable to give, they feel guilty because that's, that's your heart. Your heart is to give. And when you're unable to do what your heart wants to do, you feel bad, right? But you have to give yourself permission to say no. And it's okay. I mean, if you don't have it, you don't have it. But if you had it, maybe you'd give it. But, and I tell people, even if you have it, if you've created a boundary and you've reached your boundary level, you technically don't have it, right? right. So as a spender, what I've had to do is I have a spending account. And then I put all my money someplace else where I don't have easy access to it, right? Mm-hmm. And I tell people all the time, most people think they have a savings account. No, you don't have a savings account. You have a side piece account. The side is that savings account that's attached to your main checking account. And every time your checking account can't give you what you want, you tap that asset of savings <laughs> account. And so you deplete it all the time. And so side piece accounts are never designed to give you what you need. It's just, they're just not built that way. So you have to create a reverence account, a mama account, right? And mama has her own house. She's far away. Mama doesn't give you everything you want, but she can give you what you need. But when you create that reverence account, you know, it separates the spending, the nonsense or the noise, the financial noise. So you set it and forget it. So I have money that just goes into my mama account, the reverence account at a credit union. I don't have a debit card for it. If I need it, it may take 24 hours for it to be transferred or whatever. But I did that on purpose because as a spender, I will create an emergency to (laughs) 
money out of my thing. I promise you going to the bar just to get some wings is a national emergency. (laughs) So I have to be very cognizant of that. And so I keep money, a certain amount of money in my checking account. And I put some in that side piece account because psychologically I need to know I can tap, you know, forgive the innuendos, but I need to be able to transfer, you know, and feel that little safety cushion. But majority of the money goes into that reverence account. And so that's what some spenders we need to do as boundaries. And once, you know, at one point I had like $10,000 in this savings account, right? $10,000 before I transferred it somewhere to earn more interest. But I only had like $78 in my checking account. And someone asked me, how much, how much money do you really have? And my answer is I got $78. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) So can I borrow a hundred? I ain't got it. You know, can I borrow 80? I ain't got it. So we have to be able to give ourselves permission to be able to set those boundaries and respect the boundaries. Mm -hmm. And not just, you know, the boundaries financially, but the boundaries in life. You know what I mean? We need to set time boundaries, relationship boundaries, spiritual boundaries. We got to be able to set those. And then we have to be able to make other people respect those boundaries. Right. And if we are going to make other people respect those boundaries, we in turn have to respect our own boundaries we set for ourselves. That part. (laughs) And there's that. Yeah. Sometimes I try to stick with the boundaries. Now I'm good. But in the past, sometimes I would violate my own boundaries. Yeah. Been there and done that. So for all y'all that's listening, don't go be making yourself feel bad because you violate your own boundaries sometimes. You will get to the point where you won't do that. Just know it's okay. You recovering. (laughs) You are recovering. And you know, we're going to, we're going to mess up and we got to give ourselves permission to when we make mistakes, you know, it's one of those things you trip and fall. You can pout for a minute, but get back up, move along, try again. Relationships with money is like relationship with people. You know, it's going to be great. You can have a great relationship and you can make some mistakes. You can't kill yourself over it. You just have to acknowledge it, you know, repent, turn from your wicked ways and work on not doing it again. Join the movement and sign up for the 365 Days of Hearing God's Word Challenge. Check the show notes for all the details. Right now, it's time to get back to the episode. It's the Doing Business with God podcast with Michi Renee. So when you are not speaking and teaching on financial literacy and all the wonderful things that you do, what do you do for fun? Because we're all about fun around here at the Unicorn Tribe. <laughs> what do I do for fun? Oh, that's a very good question. I work. Uh, yeah. No, I haven't really been able to do what I love to do. I love watching movies. I love going to the movies. I haven't been to the movie theater since what February. Mm. And I was the one that would go every week to the movies because of the experience. I love going to the movies, paying the overpriced popcorn and soda. I just love the experience and sitting in the chairs and the big screen. I'm just a movie buff. I love watching movies and escaping for several hours. And that's what I really did for fun because my brain is constantly working all the time. That allowed me to relax my brain. So I miss doing that. I love to travel. I haven't really been able to do it the way I want to because of COVID, but I just love to 
to travel in 2021, my goal is to start traveling for fun more. Yeah. Even if it's, you know, the state next door or whatever, but just more for fun instead of just traveling for business. Right, right. So if you were going to be traveling somewhere for fun, where would you be going if there was no COVID right now? Wow. Probably Florida. Uh, Anywhere where it's a huge body of water. My ultimate goal to travel is to go to Dubai. Mm. So yeah, that's my ultimate goal. I want to go in Dubai and Qatar, especially Qatar, because I've worked with Al Jazeera, the international CNN, or CNN is the American version of Al Jazeera. And Qatar calls me frequently to be the financial commentator on Al Jazeera news. So I get money from Qatar. So I've always wanted to just go to Qatar and see Al Jazeera. But yeah, going to Dubai would be great. I want to go to Paris just to say I've been there to see it. But something, but any place where it's a huge body of water, because I'm an Aquarius and the ocean gives me energy, that's where I really want to be. Like my plan is during this winter time, because I love going off season, is to find a beach and to be near the ocean when nobody's there. Absolutely. So in closing, what does Tara Jackson stand for? What's your mantra? My mantra. Well, I was going to say, I just don't give up, but it's not. That's a mantra I use quite frequently, but (laughs) my ultimate, I don't know, that's a good question. I'm not to create a mantra for myself, but my goal is to help someone be better. And that's as better as they want to be, to provide them with the tools. That's why I do Madam Money, is to give you the information that you need to to do better, to be better, as better as you want to be, right? And that's why I created Dualpreneur. We want more. We want want better. So I want to provide people with tools you know, and I'm a teacher or an educator by heart and by profession and by degree, but I love receiving, I love learning the information, implementing it. And then I love teaching people how to do what I've done and teaching people my mistakes so they can avoid it. So that is, you know, ultimately who I am is that if I learn it, I really want to teach it to help other people be the better they want to be. So if people want to get in touch with you, how do they reach Madam? Oh, I'm going to make life easy for you, right? Just go to madammoney.com, M-A-D-A-M-M-O-N-E-Y.com. You can connect with me on all my social media through my website. You can, you know, reach out to me, give me a virtual hug on my website. You can buy my books on my website. You can hire me to speak on my website, girl. Man, just go to my website, madammoney.com. And, you know, shout me out on social media. Let me know you're there so I can follow you back. And that would be great. Absolutely. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have found this episode helpful and you love it, tag Doing Business with God podcast on Instagram stories. And does Madam Money have an IG? Well, I sure do. Ms. Madam Money. M-S-M-A-D-A-M-M-O-N-E-Y. M-S Madam Money. Yes. Tag us both. Leave a review. Leave some comments. And I will see you on the next episode and have the most amazing day ever. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Doing Business with God podcast. If you love this podcast, please share it with your family and friends. Leave us a review and help us grow. We also want to hear about your biggest takeaways. Take a picture of this episode and tag us on Instagram stories under doing business with God. And we'll see you next episode. I am your host, Michi Renee. Get clear, God's strategy, secure the bag. Have the most amazing day ever. You've been listening to the Doing Business with God podcast.